sometimes I find the um, synchronicity of events interesting. There's a uh, movie, The Wizard of Oz, came out August 25th, 1939, and in it, um, Dorothy, uh, she's a little girl, and her dog Toto are whisked away in their house to the magical land of Oz, and uh, basically how this happens is a tornado. A big, huge tornado ends up um, hitting their house, and as they live in, it's like rural Kansas or something like that. Now, I'm watching um, another perspective of events on Star Trek Voyager, um, Season 2, Episode 1, where they find a Ford pickup, uh, 1936, that was whisked away to space somehow. They, they're unable to explain why it got there. Now, I'll get into um, their explanation later, um, but I just wanted to document the my perspective and everything on events, and um, how that wormhole itself doesn't necessarily lead to one place. So, some objects can you know, it is a rupture in space and time, but just because it's a rupture in space and time doesn't always mean it has the same path for all objects that enter it. So, space and time are odd that way. Or wormholes are odd that way. So, anyways, this is... Today's date is... February 19th, 916, 917 for all intents and purposes. Uh, and yeah, I made a, uh, for dinner last night, I made a honey Dijon um, pork. It was pretty good. So, anyways, just wanted to uh, outline one of the interesting things that Star Trek Voyager has is it has a lot of historical. Um, answers to questions about events and a little bit more expanding on the events and everything. And this is one of the things I definitely find interesting where they're befuddled this uh, truck is found in space just floating there. And they find it uh, because there's a, a, a trail of oxidation and uh, rust that actually leads to it. So they find it just floating there by itself. Kind of weird. Anyways, more later. Yeah, as it turns out, um, only 12 minutes into the episode, this is actually, um, I'm already starting to remember the episode, is um, quite possibly one of my favorite episodes. Now, Amelia Earhart disappeared in, what was it, 1937, July 2nd, 1937. And at the same time, the, uh, the Philadelphia Experiment. Um, it was based on attempts. So it was 1943. United uh, Navy sailors um, are assigned to a destroyer um, called the USS Eldridge during a project to make it invisible to the radar. And the, the project malfunctioned. So what ended up happening was it... it um, it entered a black hole. Now, here's the thing. Um, this is actually something I've come to understand about reality. Um, a planet 
has a tendency to form the image for the individuals um, and entities that exist within it. So we as a collective culture, as a collective population and everything, um, our minds work together to literally, in a literal sense, create the imagery that, uh, that more or less sticks to our reality and everything. Well, in these cases, it's my suspicion that um, because the collective mind didn't understand black holes and multiple realities and yada yada yada, what ended up happening with this Philadelphia experiment was that, uh, in a literal sense, um, when the the mind minds collective minds of these individuals became displaced, it didn't know what to do with it, and it had a hard time trying to find it. So in 1943, when this happened. Um, and created a ripple both forwards and backwards in time for this massive experiment and everything. <clears throat> and that ripple, I'm suspecting, is among the reasons that Amelia Earhart's um, aircraft ended up disappearing. And take it a little further back, it's also, um, or actually a, a little forward, um, The Wizard of Oz on August 25th, 1939, is a direct result of this experimentation that actually occurred. So, and that's actually how Ripple occurs. It's, you know, you, you get, like, little things that happen up until the point of the event. So little exponentially growing things. You know, it's almost like a, uh, a megaphone where you might get, get one little event. You know, the disappearance of, um, you know, uh, what was it? Um, Amelia Earhart. Um, then you get another event, you know, this movie that shows up, The Wizard of Oz, which collectively, you know, what, uh, what we do is we tell stories. You know, and those stories have a tendency to debunk anything it doesn't understand and to basically uh, replace it with a story of the plausible, of something that actually makes more sense. And this could very well be the invention of Hollywood itself. Um, and then from there, you know, it, it, it ends up backdating information, so the collective reality uh, is formed that actually creates all this, um, and basically starts altering time in a literal sense. So all of a sudden now, you know, you've got uh, actors in, in movies, you know, and this thing called, you know, Judy, uh, this person called Judy Garland is no longer uh, a little girl, but instead she's a little, uh, she's an actress in a movie that, uh, that plays a little girl, you know, that, uh, she ends up, um, more or less getting lost in time and that kind of stuff. So, in any case, um, the Voyager, uh, lands on this, uh, planet after following a, uh, trail of, a. Uh, it's like a, um, some kind of transmission that's a terrestrially based, so it's it's slower than the speed of light and everything. They end up uh, going to this planet, and the first thing to do is they discover Amelia Earhart's ar aircraft. Well, I know later, uh, it's why, why it's, one, it's one of my favorite episodes, that there's three people that uh, are actually um, on this planet. All of them are in cryogenic suspension and everything, and uh, Amelia Earhart's actually among the crew and everything. So, it it's the first and only incident that I know of um, in all my records, you know, fictional and non-fictional, that actually give a detail of uh, where she, where Amelia Earhart actually wound up. 
you know, and her aircraft. It's the first and only one I'm aware of that definitively explains it, which I find kind of interesting, you know, so, you know, in all of history, you know, it's kind of interesting that no one, nowhere, has has outlined anything different, you know, for, for this, uh, you know, at least from a definitive perspective and everything about, you know, who, where she is and what she's doing. You know, some of them will, you know, and what I'm saying is depict her in a literal sense. Depict her. Here's where she is, here's what she's doing, yada, yada, yada. <coughs> so the Philadelphia Experiment was, um, was created as a movie in 1984, and, um, it, uh, it was actually one of my favorite movies. Loved it at the time. Um, but that's actually what I think happened is 1954, um, all these events happen, and as a result, you have a succession of technologies and, to some degree, planned society that actually happened out from that point forward uh, because of the events that happened with that experiment. So, in 1943, you know, Philadelphia experiment happens for real by the Navy. Um, it ends up, uh, at that point, creating a succession of technologies and of, uh, of a historical timeline, a future, if you will, uh, for the next 30-some-odd years. So I had always wondered why the um, why it seemed like technologies were being released rather uh, in a successive manner rather than organically created and that kind of stuff, you know, and you got the the whole concept of uh, Star Trek and everything that was introduced by Gene Roddenberry in the late 1960s, um, the man on the moon, you know, a rapid progression of technology, you know, the invention of labors, of fiber optics, of all this stuff, you know, that came one right after the other, and it's just like, okay, you know, and microwaves in early 1970s, you know, it's just like, why, you know, um, what happened? Well, you had an experiment. And that experiment depicted something about reality that's uh, a little bit more so than what was happening with uh, with the atomic bomb. You know, so you can say that the Navy's experiment in this um, may have actually been more important, you know, than the atomic bomb itself. You know, it uh, it depicted, in a literal sense, the. Um, well, I mean, the fact of multiple realities, you know, of, of what, how they exist, of why they exist, and, you know, to some degree, vessel, a product, uh, something that uh, was, became used on a regular basis and everything in order to advance technology and society itself. So, anyways, back to the show. I'll clearly be back because this is one of my favorite episodes. Oh, and to add to that, uh, they find a, um, something that's hooked up to her flight uh, controls and everything. That's actually, it's a fusion-based device. Now, I suspect that, uh, that early fusion devices may have, now they call it alien and they're blaming aliens on all this and everything. But, um, I'm actually suspecting that... Um, the concept and idea of fusion technology um, may have been adapted uh, or adopted, I, you could say, you know, for energy-based devices and everything as early as um, the World War II. 
And among the reasons, you know, for World War II was some didn't want it used and others did. And it caused a very real rift in between those who did want to use it versus those who didn't want to use it. So I'm I'm suspecting that uh, this device is is very similar to like a Mr. Fusion device uh, depicted in Back to the Future. So I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting to me that uh, you know that this happens and you know you got this whole concept of I don't know. I'm just suspecting there's more to than meets the eye to diffusion technology and everything. Particularly when I went over to China where they have a fusion plant literally right in the middle of the city where, you know, it's just like <laughs> nowhere near where, you know, Palo Verde over in Arizona and nuclear plants here tend to be shoved as far possible away as, you know, as far away as possible from the general population. Where over there it's just like you know, they literally have it within the population itself. I find that interesting. And the question is why. So, in any case, um, I'm suspecting that uh, that fusion device that's hooked up isn't alien, but it's actually human-made, and that's that's what made it possible for Amelia Earhart to be able to go around the world and plan a around-the-world trip. I mean, that's a at a time where you know, traveling like that was nearly impossible and making a, a transatlantic Atlantic flight was a bitch in itself. I just find it really interesting that this one, you know, that, uh, that she manages to fly around the world. It definitely gives you a little bit of, makes you wonder, you know, makes you think for sure about what really happened, you know, with this transatlantic flight and everything. So... Anyways, more later. As I'm watching the show, one of the things I had remembered seeing from the start was how weird Amelia Earhart depicted in the show looked. And um, since then, I've come to uh, you know come to see reality a little bit differently, and uh, just realizing that um, there could be a huge well. <laughs> I know you don't. That um, there could be, there's something funky. And um, one of the things I've realized is there's a lot of history that's been covered up, that's been changed, that's been, that there exists, uh, I'm not going to get into the conspiracy stuff or anything like that, but it's not that there's more than one perspective on reality. And not there's no ne not necessarily one single truth to it all well one of the new truths i found new possibilities that exist and i'm not saying this is the de facto possibility um is that uh amelia Earhart was created she was um she was originally japanese <coughs> and that her face and her um likeness was shaped through modification um through more or less uh what is it um when people do the face surgery you know so when that happens you know it's just like that's there's a possibility that uh that she you know was literally you know created by the japanese and everything so that's just one possibility 
you know, and how does that fit into the timeline in history? Well, I'm going to get into that in a second. Once I finish this game, I clearly don't have my full attention here. So give me a second. I'll be right back. Okay, so let's say presupposing that World War II was much, much worse than uh, anybody believes it to be. Um, and that uh, history has been rewritten to hide a lot of those truths. Um, World War II, uh, Hitler was working with the V2 and um, time travel mechanisms and everything. Simultaneously in the United States they were me messing with uh, time related mechanisms as well. Um, and that was uh, just um, go through the manipulation of um, matter and energy and uh, in particular paying attention to or trying to actually make an entire ship disappear with the Philadelphia experiment. And simultaneously there was a um, genetic engineering and cloning and uh, all that kind of stuff was going on over in China and Asia. So the theory goes that uh, it's quite possible that on one timeline <coughs> they may have created uh, an Amelia Earhart. Now there was a theory that uh, suggested that uh, Amelia Earhart was actually a spy for the Japanese or something like that and she was planted here. And um, let's just say, I mean, for a purpose of illustration, you, you say that every possible um, idea and concept and everything actually has a firm basis in reality. That this, that each of these realities truly does exist. Well, there's a version of Amelia Earhart that actually disappeared, you know, through a wormhole and everything. And another version of her was actually put out there, you know, that uh, was actually genetically engineered um, by the Japanese in order to infiltrate American society and everything. So that's what World War II, um, I suspect, really was, was just basically a, whole, a lot more complex, technologically, a war. And most of history has been altered in order to make it seem like it was um, completely diminished, you know, as far as, you know, the the diversity and the craziness that actually occurred during that time and everything. So, ultimately, every country had to be its own victor, plain and simply. You know, um, that was what had to happen, you know, so culture itself kind of demands that uh, each country, you know, becomes its own victor. Um, you know, and there's, there's reasons for that, you know, but, uh, but really, Amelia Earhart and the whole story that she was actually uh, uh, more or less somebody that, uh, you know, had been placed there, you know, by the Japanese and everything. Well, let's say she was genetically engineered by the Japanese and, you know, with a plastic surgery to look exactly like, uh, like their version. You know, for me, she looks like she's Japanese, um, the short hair that uh, has slightly been dyed, and, you know, she's got this weird facial features that seem very distinctively Japanese, you know, with the, you know, with Jackie Chan style modifications and everything to her face and everything, so... I think it's kind of interesting, you know, the possibilities. It's just like, now here's the thing: they all, all these possibilities exist at the same time. They don't. Um, history for me is the sum total of all these different ideas and stories. It's not just one particular lineage, one particular storyline. It's all of them. You know, I mean, they're all true. They all contribute to the thought processes. They all contribute to the ideas. So. You know, to say one's more true than the other, I mean, I didn't live it. I didn't see it. 
know, until I go back and witness things for myself, I don't have a definitive story of what actually happened. So all I have is basically circumstantial evidence based on all the theories and ideas and concepts that exist out there. So anyways, one of the um, <clears throat> weird things I've observed as I've traveled with cultures and customs when it comes down to uh, dogs. Right now I'm uh, watching and watch dogs too. Two dogs playing with each other on the uh, beach. Like I said, it's just, there comes a time where a simulation stops becoming a simulation. And you realize that your thoughts and your beliefs and your experiences and your understandings of interactions and all that is directly responsible for developing and creating and shaping and fundamentally altering the programming that actually creates these things to begin with. So when I was traveling particularly in Latin America. My, uh, my ex-girlfriend, Kenna, um, she was watching my dog when I was traveling and everything. I'm rewinding. I'm getting away from the Latin America thing. She's from India. She's, she was mortified of dogs. And uh, I had six months that I was going to be away. So I was going to... I was being sent over to Singapore, to um, Hong Kong, London, and... Uh, to uh, Paris, I was away for six months working, helping Warren Buffett shift over the uh, his assets, um, his prudential real estate and relocation over his portfolio by working with the accounting systems and everything. They were switching it over to Oracle, and uh, I was in, responsible for that and doing an audit of the organizations over in uh, Latin America, or Europe and Asia got Latin America on the mind. But, kind of, um, my mom and dad, I didn't want to leave the dog with them for that long. They already had, uh, two dogs by then. And, um, I, it's not that I would have minded a third, but I thought, um, uh, you know, Kenna's been getting along with, um, with Fiona really well. Fiona's a Boston Terrier I had bequeathed from my second divorce, or third divorce from Amy. <laughs> So I told her, I said, Kenna, would you mind taking care of, uh, care of her for this long? It was six months' time. It was a long time, and I knew, you know, it was just like, I, I felt like I was asking a lot and everything, but she's, um, I said, you're gonna have to take her for a walk on every day, you know, uh, it's just basically letting her out and go pee. You know, for me, I didn't have a problem with it, but I was hoping that, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I of course had my mom and dad that could have done it, too, but... I was hoping Kenna would understand and might actually want to overcome some of her fears of animals, particularly dogs. So she did. So for six months' time, I didn't hear much about it. I mean, I just knew that she was having, you know, that uh, she had gotten over her, you know, her problems with, with Fiona and, you know, with dogs in, in general. And, um, you know, it was uh, like... 
really, you know, cool. Seeing her adjust and seeing and hearing, you know, I should say that uh, she looked forward to coming back to her place and, you know, she's there and, you know, with, uh, and Fiona's there and how Fiona's doing on a daily basis. It definitely created a little bit more conversation for us and, you know, it just made me feel good, you know, that she cared about the things that I cared about too. So, anyways, you know, I ended up, um, letting Fiona go when I became homeless, and at that point I let her go to, uh, to Spencer. And Spencer I knew cared about animals, and so did Gina, and the two of them ended up taking Fiona. And, uh, I think Fiona got a good home, you know, f with them. Spencer did, you know, it was pretty good with, uh, with taking care of things in general. <laughs> so, in any case, um, when I took off to Latin America, it was really kind of interesting, you know, because I, I had noticed this weird phenomenon, and um, can't really call it a phenomenon, but I could just na I can call it behavioral changes in animals, where you know the more that an animal gets accustomed to you, the quicker that uh, you know. I mean, it it just basically it gets to the point where all of a sudden you'll see a. a you know, you're exposed to a dog and everything, a dog that's been skittish its whole life, and this is something I noticed, and all of a sudden the dog, you know, through a couple exposures and me just being me, the dog would be all of a sudden become playful, you know, on a regular basis and everything, you know, and I had noticed this regularly too, but what I had noticed even more than this was the more um, I started realizing the quicker or the faster my, when I got to the point that I can actually see an animal and all of a sudden at, that animal would very quickly become playful. Now it's, it's almost like I didn't have to say anything to the animals. The animals would all of a sudden, boom, they'd just, you know, first time meeting, they'd back down. That animals that I met in the wild and everything, it's just like, They'd be growling, and all of a sudden I'd go up and just be me, and all of a sudden, boom, the animal would shift. Now, I had seen this on TV and that kind of stuff, but to see that uh, an animal that I could pass by on the street and everything could literally alter its demeanor, you know, just like that, at the snap of the fingers. You know, and to see an animal make remarkable changes too, an animal that normally wouldn't play, and all of a sudden I'm around through brief exposure, and now all of a sudden it's playing. It made me think about the contagiousness of mind. For me, playing is so important. You know, it's just like... It's not just with animals too, it's with other people. You know, joking around, taking it easy, um, levity, you know, just not taking life so seriously and everything. You know, like every night I, you know, and I, every night I end up, uh, there's freckles and she's my brother's dog that he's, she's here. And, uh, every night I'll go up and I'll snuggle with freckles. I'll just lay down on the floor for a brief bit and put my head on her and, it feels good, you know? There's just one of those things that's just like, I know she enjoys it. 
You can tell. And I do too. Makes me feel good when I go to sleep like that. It's like here's another analogy. And I and I hate to do this analogy to dogs, but it's not that much different. <clears throat> I see the nape of a woman's neck. And I just want to kiss it. Not just for her, but for me. I know it makes her feel good. Just know it. I've done it hundreds, if not thousands of times. It's like stroking the arm or something like that. You know when something, whether or not it's an animal or a person, enjoys what you're doing. They don't have to say anything, but you can just feel it. They don't reciprocate it sometimes, but you know, I mean I know at least, that they enjoy it. That there's something that they miss when you don't do it too. Whether or not that's playing or kissing their neck or whatever. To some degree, we've all got that animal within us. Now, I myself, watching these two dogs go at it, and well, it is programmed. I mean, they're repeating the same gestures over and over again. And it's just basically on a cycle. But it's the type of thing that. It just makes me think. So, anyways, um, I've really been admiring the beauty of both Watch Dogs 2, and I also started playing Grand Theft Auto online. I have an official copy that I finally pulled down. I wiped away my old installation that had been pirated. And uh, part of the reason I wasn't uh, wiping that away is because of all the mods that I had on it. Now, I've preserved those mods, and I've, re I've preserved the entire entirety of all the changes that I've made and everything. So I've got a backup file of it and everything, but I thought, okay, you know, I'm actually more interested in learning, you know, about how the game um, functions, you know, mechanically. You know, I understand how assets are actually, you know, the textures and models and all that kind of stuff are uh, are actually stored in the game, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, one of the things I've, I've been really wanting to understand, though, is the technicals, you know, of dynamic interactions, you know, so it's, it's one thing to take a texture, you know, a texture is, uh, you know, like the color of grass on a two-dimensional image, um, it's the, um, hold on a second, Salita Renner. So, you know, texture is a two-dimensional image, and it's uh, it could be like the texture of a car, the texture of gravel, texture of dirt. Uh, you know, they're all images, and those images are pasted. They're shaped. They're um, contorted to the uh, to the models. So if you've got a three-dimensional model, you take a, you know, it's a wireframe model, and what you do is you basically wrap that, um, uh, 
that two-dimensional texture over that three-dimensional model and that actually is what what's responsible for giving it the look of volume and depth and everything and it makes the game transportable real easily um, because you're not storing anything other than the texture and uh, and the model and the model is just nothing more than a series of points in XYZ space that are actually linked together and everything so You've also got something called a collision model, too. So something like a, uh, a car has a collision points on it. So where, you know, you basically, if, uh, if you touch those collision points, you know, as you're running, it refuses to let you through the model itself if you're running. And it also allows you to open up doors and turn off music real quick. There we go. So, I've, I've learned how they're doing all this. I've learned how, how they're storing information about how fast a car can go, um, speed-wise and everything. Um, you know, what the mechanics as far as acceleration are concerned, gravity, how, how it, it works, and um, weather patterns, and how they can actually come into and, come into and, and go out of... Uh, go out of existence, or, you know, weather patterns and how they actually, you know, change um, textures and procedurally generated uh, stuff that's actually on the map, such as trash and Grand Theft Auto, or leaves blowing in the wind, um, fog patterns and that kind of stuff. All that kind of stuff is actually relatively um, easy to understand, but my, my thing that I'm trying to learn now is the dynamic interactions from a code perspective. So there's set patterns and behaviors and that kind of stuff, you know, such as the sun revolving around the earth, the oceans and the cycles on that, and that, kind of, that kind of stuff, the birds and, and their flight patterns, um, cars and, you know, the AI that actually drives the cars and how they drive and everything, all the way to, you know, um, the, you know, it, there's everything. I mean, all the different little nuances as far as creating a basic environment are pretty easy to reverse engineer to understand. What's not so easy to understand is uh, if I'm to actually create something called, you know, a, a DLL mod, a dynamically linked mod that, that can actually, on a real-time basis, make changes to the game itself without actually modifying the assets within the uh, within the it, it itself. That's kind of the challenge. And, and what I mean by that is, if um, I, I created a, a mod uh, that uh, allows me that uh, to basically project a holographic image um, to uh, right above the uh, theater, and that holographic image right now is nothing more than a two-dimensional uh, rotating triangle to polygon, and uh, I had planned on basically making a shark, you know, a two-dimensional shark and that kind of stuff. Um, now, it's the thing that I'm actually coming across is how is it, I mean, I can create two-dimensional textured, uh, two-dimensional models that are simplistically based. Um, and actually post that up and uh, and display that, you know. But really, when it comes down to it, is that is kind of a bitch because that that uh, whole texture of the shark 
it's a three-dimensional thing, and and all the different polygons, I've got to map and everything. Not only do I have to map it, but I also am going to have to color each one. And let's say I, w I want to get a, com a more complex image than that. I already know that I'm going to want to do that anyways. Well, the problem with adding complexity to it is you could have a relatively simple um, map, like uh, you know the shark from Back to the Future that jumps out in Back to the Future 2 when he travels to the future. You could have a relatively simple model, and that, that model might consist of altogether maybe 300 polygons. Now, that is, you know, I mean, real simple is my little triangle that rotates. You know, it's two, two polygons back to back, or one front and one back. Well, that in itself was a pain in the ass because I've got to map that, you know, in three-dimensional space and everything. And in addition to that, you know, I've got to color it and basically make sure the animation works right and everything. So what I'm trying to figure out is um, moving forward a more realistic way to take the same textures and models that actually might be stored in hard physical locations, you know, such as a database, and to be able to create a mod that can dynamically generate both the two-dimensional uh, textures and the uh, three-dimensional models that can actually be superimposed on it. So that way, if I actually wanted to have a, a lifelike-looking holographic woman that actually appeared in this, in this game world, you know, um, generated from a real model and everything, um, I could do this with very little latency and everything. And right now, the problem with uh, with the, uh, the the way the modeling is done, it's just you know, there's no way to apply a texture over it. You know, so let's say I wanted a perfect replica of a naked woman and everything within this uh, video game. Well, I mean, how do you do that? You know, that's you know when, and that's actually kind of the open question I have too. Is really how do I do that? You know, um, it doesn't look like it's possible. You know, with the current API set that's actually offered by GTA, um, by the game itself. However, however, it is hacked, and now here's actually where it starts getting into uh, some of the uh, the real, you know, kind of interesting things from a hacking perspective. What they've done is they've actually injected um, something called a DLL into the memory process space of the uh, of Grand Theft Auto itself. Now, I've done something similar, um, but uh, what they've done... Ah, I think I'm starting to answer my own question. I did it from an outside perspective, and I didn't have access to that DLL. Okay, so here's... Huh. We'll see if this works. Now, um, what I'm thinking is, uh, I had created a mod before that uh, it it, inje it created a two-dimensional model or three-dimensional model in World of Warcraft. So I had an external application that was writing to and creating a new heads-up display inside Worlds of Warcraft um, that would uh, allow me to... I had created a Borg cube or something like that and then another polygon model, but the problem is the it didn't preserve the aspect ratio and uh, view the, fo the focal point, the viewpoint information and everything based on the current, um, the current viewport, the three-dimensional viewport. So, 
that created a little bit of a problem um, just because the it didn't look realistically it didn't look realistic depth wise inside the game and everything so um, I just thought that uh, I can do the same thing but I could instead um, leverage the same model that they're using and literally inject it directly into the memory process space and that way I can actually create the three-dimensional models um, but I'd be doing it all through their three-dimensional process space and I don't have to leverage anything whatsoever in order to be able to, uh, to achieve the same effect. And I could actually leverage my own database to pull the information from. That's actually kind of cool. In layman speak, what that means is I figured out, I just figured out a way to be able to hack it. So, it still is going to take a lot of work, but, um, it, um, now here's the thing. How do I make it transportable? Because the work that I'm doing with this, I want to make sure that when I create my game, that I can leverage the same assets that I'm creating. And what I mean by that is, um, I like the idea of being able to, at the same time I'm tinkering with three dimension, understanding three-dimensional um, space and everything, um, and I'm doing it within a Grand Theft Auto framework or something like that. I could actually inject the models and I can test my models out and see if they work. <coughs> I mean, ultimately, they got the goal is to create a game um, that will, you know, make the scope and size of, uh, of Grand Theft Auto or Watch Dogs seem like, you know, child's toys in comparison. That's the ultimate goal. <coughs> but, you know, um, with that said, you know, the big thing I want to make sure I do is take the work that I'm doing and making sure that it can work for both environments. So, in other words, nothing gets thrown away. So anything that I do, or I, actually I have an 80-20 rule, the personal rule. 80% um, of the things that I do has to, uh, whenever I do this kind of stuff and everything, um, I've got an 80-20 rule, which basically says 80% of what I do has to actually go towards uh, something that uh, that's actually meaningful to me, you know. So that's that's really kind of the rule then, you know. So 20% can be throwaway code, you know, something that I might be able to work for GTA, you know. 80% of it though, and that's the cool thing about the DLL. It allows me to actually write the code that I could then call from a from the hacked. Um, they've got something called script.net, which is what I'm going to be using. It's called script, uh, scripthook.net, and uh, that allows me the capability to be able to directly inject um, into the memory process space and everything, uh, leveraging a C-sharp or any kind of DLL that I want to, and I can actually make calls from that directly to my DLL. Well, I will already be in memory process space within um, GTA at that point, and I can actually test this code out. Now, the whole key is making sure that it's the kind of code that I would gladly use as an API and uh, have fun with it too. You know, something that's going to leverage and access my, my uh, database and you know, my information and everything that I've actually stored off. And uh, yeah, the cool thing is I could actually, you know, make it transportable and everything. Huh. So as I'm modding, the code isn't throwaway. You know, and that's actually kind of the thing that I, I really don't enjoy, you know, is uh, some of the mod stuff that I've been doing. It's exclusive and explicit to Grand Theft Auto alone.
Well, this right here gives me the capability to be able to put modded framework in to basically make it so where it doesn't matter where it's actually getting uh, done. As long as I have access, that's actually the good question. Does... Oh, it doesn't have to. So that's actually going to be the question, though. So here's one. Here's uh, one of the things I'm actually sensing is, is being one of the uh, one of the things I've got to work out. I don't need to. If I access coordinate space, mm, I can pose a problem in that too. This could be interesting. I don't know. I got a lot to work out. I can definitely tell that. Maybe that's what I can do. Um, I'm thinking out loud. But basically, um, the whole concept and idea of a flat planet um, makes it so where I can actually put this stuff in and, and have my stuff not overlap the GTA world you know, with some of the content, or at least, um, let's say I actually create my, start creating my own continent or something like that. And uh, in the process of creating that on that continent, um, somebody else gets the same bright idea that I do, and they place a continent in the same place or something like that. Well, at that point, you get a whole Jerusalem problem, you know, where the Muslims and the Jewish both, both feel like they're at the same place at the same time. Both of them don't understand alternate realities. Both of them collapse, and they go to war with each other. Both of them believing that this is their, their you know, their Jerusalem. They don't understand the shared nature of reality. Um, they don't understand how the world formed. Yada yada yada, and as a result, you have, you know, complete and continuous conflict in the Middle East, which will never fucking solve itself because they don't understand alternate realities in the collision. So, anyways, long story short, this advocates the ability to be able to create another planet within the GTA world. And that other planet, for my specific content, could ulti ultimately be But, rather than thinking grandiose, I can actually have that be the long-term goal. The short-term goal is just simply to insert content dynamically into this world and everything. So I've got some things to figure out. You know, behaviors, for instance. Um, one of the problems with, uh, with GTA is that pedestrians don't have names. Um, they don't have... <laughs> they don't have an easy way, you know, to be able to identify you know, on a consistent basis and everything. And uh, so imagine taking a trip to China. And um, you are... You've never been introduced to Chinese people before, so... Here's the problem. All of them look the same. So, you you find ways to try to actually look at the similarities for the facial features. Um, you, you know, but when it comes down to it, you don't speak the language, and all the names sound the same. Shun, Shun, Shun. 
you know, they it's just like you're having a bitch of a time trying to actually remember names. So now start trying to remember names, even though each individual name sounds the same, and start trying to remember specifics about each one, even though you can't recognize the face. That's kind of the problem that I'm having with GTA, where um, the only distinguishing characteristics for most of the most of the characters in GTA are their clothes. Um, many of them have the same faces, many of them have the same haircuts even, um, so this kind of has a problem. You know, the big problem being, you know, it's just like, which one is which one? You know, uh, if I meet this, uh, meet this one, how is it I can actually store and retain personal information about this one that I'm meeting and everything, you know, if they change clothes into something else the next day? And it looks exactly like the other person that's going down the street and everything. You know, um, and this is the whole thing. How can I reinforce diversity, you know, if all the pedestrians actually look the same? You know, if, if there's basically 120 different types of pedestrians, you know, I'm, there's probably a little bit more. I, let's go so far to say, um, there's maybe, no, actually, I'll go so far to say there's, there's only 120 different types of pedestrians, and that's maybe an exaggerated number. Um, but if you include their clothes, that may, that brings it up to maybe 500. So, you know, 500 different basic types of pedestrians based on the clothes. So, do you do it based on the clothes they wear? You know, if you have a pedestrian that comes within view and everything, um, let's say I'm storing information for this this single pedestrian and everything on my machine in my database. So all interactions that you have with that pedestrian, the next time this pedestrian comes into existence and everything, well, one thing I would certainly do is make it so where this pedestrian will remember you and react accordingly. You know, so, and, and that memory will be stored in my database. You see what I'm saying? You know, so while GTA's database isn't going to remember any of this shit, you know, because every pedestrian pops into existence, and at that point, you know, it's just like it's temporary, it's fleeting, you know. Um, that pedestrian, you know, loses track of you, and, and quite literally, it stops reacting to you 30 seconds after you just shot a gun. You know, so that's not going to happen with my world. My world, you know, that pedestrian's going to see you, and they're going to walk the fucking other way. You know, if you've just shot a gun or something like that. You know, um, let's say you killed them. Well, that pedestrian isn't going to be around. You can quite literally reduce the numbers, you know, of the pedestrians to make it so where there's no pedestrians. So, that's actually another another thing, too. It's just like, I mean, think about it in real life. You know, let's say you live on a planet, and there's only 500 people, you know, that exist on this planet. Well, you kill one. They don't pop back into existence, right? At least in my world, they don't. You kill one, you're down to 499. You know, you kill another one, boom. You're down to 400, and so on and so forth. That keeps on going and everything. Well, what I'm going to do is remember the state of each one. And if you kill them, that death is permanent. The only one who can't endure permanent death is you. But they can. You eliminate all them, you're going to have to find other things to entertain yourself or start the game over. Maybe that's what I need to, need to do at first. Just get the database connection going. 
Yeah, that's actually what I'm going to do first. Persistence for the pedestrians. But here's the thing. I've got to find more distinguishing characteristics about these guys. That's for sure. So, anyways, that's actually what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Is uh, coming up with a scheme to save this information to the database. And uh, coming up with persistent information. And then, I'll start working on behaviors. So, somebody sees you. I'll start running the other way. I like it. So, how do I package this as a mod, though? Maybe that's what I've got to do. Let's just do each one separately. Let's see if there's any mod out there like this. Freckles! <laughs> she hears whenever I hit the bottom of the bowl for ice cream. I am. Um, I have not been having ice cream lately. It's been fucking with me when I sleep. But uh, tonight's meal, I made Chinese pepper steak on a wok for the first time. Really, first time using a wok. I mean, I've used a wok before, but I've used it like a normal, you know, cooking utensil and everything, where you turn it on medium, you know, heat, and you just do things. But uh, it's the first time I used a wok like it's intended to be used turned it all the way up, you know, the heat up to high, and uh, made this Chinese pepper steak, and problem was, um, I've never cooked with the wok before, nor have I used heat that high before, and uh, very quickly, um, the uh, sauce that uh, I mixed it with, it was the soy sauce mixed with white sugar, mixed with cornstarch, mi mixed with ground ginger. It was actually quite tasty at first, but the problem is I ended up, because um, of the heat, burned the bottom of the uh, pan a little bit, and at that point I ended up um, having a little bit of aftertaste of uh, charcoal in the, uh, in the pepper stick, which really, um, to me, it, it ruined it. I wasn't happy with the results. I mean, you know, the meat was cooked well, but I fucked up by basically letting it, uh, letting the sauce do what it did. So next time I won't uh, make that mistake, and there will be a next time. I mean, it was actually could have been really good had I not fucked up, fucked up that. My mom, who has no sense of taste, um, you know, my dad has a sense of taste. My mom loves her textures. You know, between the two of them, my dad he noticed it, but I don't think he was as as upset about it as I was. I just. I mean, for me, it's just like, I was unhappy. I really fucked that one up. So, for me, it was a fuck-up. For my mom, it wasn't. For my dad, nah, he wasn't that upset. He did. I think I'm, I'm the one who uh, was more hard on myself than anybody else. So, in any case, um, yeah. So, I was hungry, because I uh, didn't eat as much as I normally did, so I had a little ice cream. So hopefully it doesn't affect me all night tonight like it has been. But, in any case, um, so I'm doing a little search real quick for pedestrian pers persistence. Persistence memory, or memory. Memory.
Okay, that didn't come up with jack shit. Persistence. No. Pedestrian memory. GTA 5. Eh. No, nothing like what I'm talking about. That's actually what I have to do. I um I put my mod that I had for GTA 5 um on GTA 5 mods. Uh it's actually GTA-5 or GTA-GTA5-mods.com. Um, I put my Q, Q car, so every time you get into a car, it changes the license plate to Q. It's kind of useless, you know, but I thought it was funny. So, anyways, I put that mod up on, uh, on this website. And, um, it didn't get approved, you know. Apparently the, uh, the quote-unquote democracy for this shit's fucked up, in my opinion. And they need to have better, uh, filing systems to allow... Goofy. I mean, they need a goofy category. Actually, I'm going to do that. Log in. I'm going to put a request in for a goofy category. Goofy or bizarre. Let's see. Nope. I'm going to have to create a new one. Uh, so, in any case, um, that's what I'm going to be doing a little bit tomorrow. I've got some book reading to catch up on as well. And, uh, other than that, yeah, that's about it for today.